Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 56 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Patrick. And I am Rick. And we're tired. Yeah, we've had a, a couple, we've had different, uh, just different kinds of weeks, but I think we're both kind of mentally drained tonight. So yes. this could be interesting. Um, for Rick, it's been, his work has been four Mondays. Yeah, we, we, so we record typically on Thursday. He's had four consecutive Mondays this week. So um, my work hasn't been that crazy, which I'm kind of thankful for. We're, we're not crazy busy right now, but we're, um, like I mentioned last week, in the in the middle of uh, moving and packing and all that entails. And uh, you know, we have a talking. Well, we have, yeah, we have a toddler running around, so he's keeping us, you know, exhausted all the time. So, yes. Um, but apart from your four Mondays, how are you doing tonight? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm glad it's Thursday, and this is going to come out a couple of weeks, but we're heading into Labor Day weekend, so we get a long weekend. Whoop, whoop. I'm excited about a long weekend and going to relax and, and just not do as... I'm going to do as little as possible this weekend, as little as I can get away with. You want to come up here and help us pack our house? Uh, like I said, I'm going to do as little <laughs> as possible. It was worth a shot, man. You don't know. <laughs> hey, good. Uh, I don't I don't blame you. I would have done the same thing. I mean, we've, like like we were talking about before we started recording, we've been packing, it feels like, every weekend for four or six weeks. Yes. And there's still so much still to do. <laughs> But I, I feel where does it all come from? I feel woefully unprepared for <laughs> moving in a few days. So you, but, you'll be amazed what happens in a few days when you're like, I, "What do I do with this? Throw it away. I'm just going to throw everything away. Throw it away, or just or just put it in uh, put everything in a box, and we'll figure it out when we get to the new house." So, but um, so that's what's going on with us. We're excited about that, but um, the next yep. the next few days will be a little nerve wracking. Of course, when this comes out, we'll be in our we'll have been in our new house for a while. So, anyway. Um, so tonight we've got a uh, beer in, in theology we're going to talk about, like we always do. Rick, what beer are we drinking tonight? So tonight we have found a new brewery, uh, and this is Bell's Brewery or, or Bell's Brewing or whatever in mm-hmm. Comstock, Michigan. Um, the one we have found is called the Two-Hearted Ale, mm-hmm. and it looks like, the, I don't know, I'm not a fisherman, so it lo- I guess this is a bass. It looks like a bass to me. I'm not really sure what fish are native to but Michigan so there there's a fish on the front of it and so I have uh cheerfully dubbed this the the fish beer um we're hoping it doesn't taste like fish but you know. I really hope it doesn't <laughs> um we have had a few beers from breweries in Michigan and they've been really really good actually they have I um, come back to our very our second one the dragon's milk yes so good. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't gone back and had it yet. There's a couple I have gone back and gotten, but that one's not one of them. So, um, yeah. let's see. Um, this one's a ABV of 7%. Yes. It's So, this is the first thing. This is the 56th episode of this podcast we're doing. This is the first time either of us have seen a shelf life, like, yes. advertised on the beer of six months. Um my beer was bottled on June 18th, so I'm good there. And Rick's yours was bottled on on July 24th, so mine's fresh. Yours is yeah, yours is like relatively fresh. Old. So, um, the website says the tasting notes are bitter citrus pine. Um, how that works out. Let's see here. So, it's got so 212 calories. Yeah. So they've got so they don't have IBUs listed on the Ooh. website, but if you click on it, you can see the IBUs. There is a difference between absolute bitterness and see. All right, so this is exactly what we were talking about. There, so Bell's Brewery, you have answered our question. <laughs> you don't. Even, you don't even know we were asking it. It says sixty. 
right? Um, which it tells me I'm not going to like it. But we've had some of them that are like 40, and it won't taste bitter to me. And so they're saying there's a difference between absolute bitterness and perceived bitterness. And IBUs are useful for homebrewers for the purpose of clone recipes, but it doesn't always tell the whole story. Interesting. And I could not agree with you more. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. We have had bitter ones, ones that would be high on the bitter scale that I've liked, but I typically don't like bitter, bitter beers. So I, I hope I like this one simply because they, they told me the truth about this. Yeah. Th- this even is... though it's a 60 and I'm probably not. <laughs> well, but you've also said that about some other beers in that 50 60 range so maybe it's it might be a true 60 it might not be true they're and they're at least being honest about that um some food pairings for the two-hearted ale here um they've got it listed as in three categories savory sweet and eccentric way the eccentric way whatever that means um savory like oysters and barbecue um sweet apples grapefruit carrot cake and then eccentric way is curried vegetable soup. Whatever that means. Yeah. And then they've also got recipes, which I might uh, check out on my own time. Um, <laughs> this is a year-round available beer. So um, if you can find it, you can get it. Um, and we're uh, – I'm ready to crack this open. I was finishing one – I was finishing a different beer um, before we started. Yeah, the Magic Hat from a few <laughs> weeks back. Uh, when we first started good. talking, that was real good. That's why I was, that's why I was drinking it. So, but let's crack open the two hearted ale and see what happens. See how it goes. Here we go in one, two, three, crack. And I got my handy dandy cap gun. I don't feel like mine ever has like a fizzy pop like yours does. I don't know, but I can't. That's because I probably because I can't hear. See now, when I smell this, it doesn't like it. I don't know, maybe it's me, but it doesn't smell bitter. No, it smells very citrusy. I say I can smell the citrus in it. Let's pour it up and see what it looks like. It's got a nice color. It's got a nice deep yellow color. I did not do good pouring mine up tonight. I got way too much foam. Look at you. Bada bing, bada boom. I mean, it's not the weight. I got a little bit of foam, but... <laughs> I've got a lot of bit of foam. Oh dang! <laughs> so we're just gonna we're gonna, we're, we're ready. I'm, I can turn it up here in just a second. Okay, there we go. All right. Yeah. So um, the color's good. It's got a very citrusy, um, a bitter citrus like a grapefruit smell, which makes sense because that's one of the things that it would yeah. pair with, according to the website. I feel like this is going to be um, similar to a lot of the other. Like citrusy IPAs, just off the smell. Yeah, and this it's got that classic smell. Yeah, or that that normal. Yeah. Did you say this was an American IPA? That's what it says on the bottle. Yeah, the bottle says American IPA. Just making sure that we said that before we yeah got too <laughs> too far away from that. So. Too far into it. So I guess let's. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's All turn right. them up and drink them. So two hearted ale from Bell's, Bell's Brewery. Brewery. Here we go. Bottoms up. That's a little bit better than I was anticipating. That's pretty good. With 60, okay, so with 60 IBUs listed, which, I mean, they didn't release it. You had to like, click to find it, but they're saying 60 IBUs. I can definitely, the aftertaste is, is bitter. Mm-hmm. I can get the bitter in the aftertaste, but the initial, like, when you start drinking it, it's got a really nice citrusy flavor to start off with. Yeah. Yeah, you go through like um, you start with a citrusy flavor, and then it kind of transitions into more of a spice flavor. Yeah, like a like a not salt and pepper, but salt and pepper <laughs> flavor. You know, um, it's pretty good. It's it's smooth and light, which I I kind of wasn't really expecting. Um, uh, on, on this one, just because of the dark, I was I was actually expecting it a little bit to be a little bit heavier and a little bit more bitter than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I mean, they they talk about perceived bitterness and actual bitterness, and my perceived bitterness on this one is not 
to me, I wouldn't call the 60 IBUs if you made me rate it. Right. And, and I think the perceived thing is going to be more, is going to be different based on who's drinking it. Like you might. It's, yeah. Yeah. So it might be more bitter to me than it is to you or vice versa. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's probably why they put that distinction there, you know, perceived versus um, actual. So and why they don't why they don't list it? Yeah, so. because I I have realized that over the course of this podcast, it's kind of seeing the IBUs is setting us up for an expectation. Yes, and you know when you see like sixty or seventy IBU, IBUs and then we drink it and we're like, that was almost sweet, yeah. you know. <laughs> or sometimes it's thirty or forty and we're like, wow, that punched me in the face. Yeah. So you know, there's. I think that's setting us up for an expectation that's not necessarily always going to be met either way. Yeah. So all I have to say, I'm still trying to formulate my opinion here on okay. where I'm going to rate this thing, but where are you going to rate I'll, I'll, uh, this I'll one? Come in. So, so this is a little better than I expected. Um, it, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the, like the aftertaste bitter that I get from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual flavor of the beer the smoothness of the beer. Um, I mean, they they say in their in their little description here, it says Two Hearted is remarkably drinkable and well suited for adventures everywhere. Um, I went. I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna surprise some of you. I'm gonna come in at four Luthers on this one. Dang. Okay. Um, if I had to, and and if you've listened, you know I'm not a huge fan of IPAs. I typically rate IPAs in the three to three and a half range, just kind of as a general. Like if it's a good IPA, I'll give it three and a half. Um, if it's a if it's an okay one, then I'll give it three. And if it's bad, then then it gets a two and a half or whatever. But this one to me is just a little bit better. Like I think the only thing I don't like about it is the uh, aftertaste, mm-hmm. the, the the bitterness of the aftertaste. And and I don't think that's anything that Bell's can change. I mean that's what they designed it to do. So yeah. Um. So I'm gonna give it four, just because. It was surprisingly better than I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's got it does have good flavor, it has good texture, um, and and everything about it says this is a good beer. Um, it's it's just the only thing I'm going to have to say that I don't like is the aftertaste. Okay, um, so that's what, I'm going to come in at four Luthers on this one out of five. Okay, four out of five. that's very that's actually quite surprising. So, um, I was thinking you would actually give it three and a half Luthers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was basing my, uh, what I was going to rate it on what I thought you were going to rate it because I thought I liked it a little bit better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking if you came in at three and a half, I was going to give it four. Um, I don't I just, but I, everything no, out. and that's not your fault. That's really mine. <laughs> I should have my own opinion, but, um, I don't think I can give this beer four and a half Luthers. It's not that good to me. Um, it is going to get four Luthers for me as well. And, um, for all the reasons you said, the, it's really, it's surprisingly smooth. The initial citrus flavor is, um, is really nice. Um, I don't mind the bitter aftertaste. It's just not as, it's not as good as some of the four and a half and five Luther beers that we've had, um, throughout the course of the podcast. So, I'm also going to come in at four Luthers tonight. And, um, yeah, that's Bell's Brewery really, I, I don't, to, I had never. To get two fours and out, I, of, out of both of us. Yeah, and we had never heard of them <laughs> until, I mean, I was literally in the store. And just for some background here, uh, we live in different parts of the country. And Rick has been going to a store. He typically goes. And he searches for the store in my area that I go to and sees what's available and tries to see if he can find it. Well, this week I did that, but the store Rick goes to doesn't have a database on their website. So I'm scrolling through the brewery, <laughs> through the package store's Instagram, looking for, because they post pictures of what they have in stock or whatever. And I find one and then I take, I go to my store, take a picture of it, send it to Rick. And Rick's like, I've seen that at my store. Get it. <laughs> So, I mean, we're we're it's trying. It's a complicated system we have. Yes, here. it's very complicated. We're trying our best <laughs> to not do the dual thing, and inevitably, at some point, we're going to have to start doing it. I think. But yeah. um, all that to say, 
uh, we've been, this is actually a pretty surprising beer. Yeah. Cause it, and also like we never heard, I'd never heard of Bell's Brewery. Um, it's got a fish on the label. I'm not a huge fishing person. Like I like eating fish, but I'm not going to like go out. I'm not going to go to the lake and fish, you know? Yeah, I don't like going fishing. Yeah. It's too much work. Um, <laughs> my dad is always like, why don't you want to go fishing? And I was like, we've, I've gone fishing once in the last 15 years and we stayed there for like an hour and then it started raining. So, I mean, anyway, Bell's Brewery, that was really surprising. We're, it was, I'm impressed. I'm interested. They've got those recipes on the website. I'm kind of interested to try a couple of them. Um, they, they actually have a lot of beers. It makes me, it kind of makes me want to try some of their other ones mm-hmm. um, that they have. They have a, no, that has been stout. dangerous. That has been dangerous in the past. That's true. Getting set up, get, looking out on a good beer to start, and then getting a <laughs> not so good beer on the next go round. Yep. Not they saying it would happen called, here, but they have one called Lager of the Lakes. That is a Bohemian Pilsner. Okay. I kind of want to try that one. I want to see if we can find that one. Bells, I'm going to tag you. If you're listening, will you send us some Lager of the Lakes? Will you reach out to us and send us some Lager of the Lakes so we can review it? Dude, if they sent us, if anyone sent us anything, I would be not only surprised, but incredibly thankful. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, Because I don't know if y'all know this, but we have to go buy these beers every week. They are not free. Exactly. <laughs> and some of us don't drink beer every single night. And so their fridge is full of beer going <laughs> back. <of> beers. <laughs> I think I might have, let's see, hang on. I think I saw, I think I've seen beer in there. I might have a couple of Oktoberfests still in there. Wow. That's almost a year old at this point. I know. (laughs) And then I've also seen, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad, honestly. Um, So anyway, there you go, Bells. Bells Brewery. We're. I mean, we should put in an applause track right here. That's, like your, that's this a, is that's not exciting. fish ale. This is not fish beer, uh, for the record. It's not uh, fishy is, beer. It's not fishy beer. This is good beer. Uh, the Two-Hearted Ale from Bear, Bell's Brewery in Comstock, Michigan. Well done. We salute you. And now we're going to move on to the next part of our discussion. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at, we, we've talked a lot in the past about the Bible. And and what we're going to do is just kind of talk over the next several weeks about what it means to study the Bible, to learn the Bible, how Christians should use the Bible, um, how the Bible can be applied in the everyday life. Because so many times a lot of people uh, just kind of, they they talk about reading it and they go, yeah, I read the Bible, but I don't really understand it, so it doesn't make sense. And so we're just going to talk through some things over the next few weeks about um, ways that hopefully will be very applicable to you on how you can study the Bible and, and learn more and, and, and learn more about God so that you can teach others about God. So stick around. We'll be back after this message. Welcome back from our message that was not really a message, but it was just a musical break. You're welcome for that. One day we'll get advertisements (laughs) to put in there, which we could. I mean, we could talk about this off the air, but we could maybe start doing that if you wanted to. We could. could I don't know how much work that would be. but With our podcast hosting service, Anchor.fm. Or whatever. whatever so we got to we got to tag Anchor. Just just we got to tag we got to tag the brewery. Who else we got to tag in this thing? We're tagging everybody. Yep. We're tagging Donald Trump. We're tagging everybody. So, here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We we kind of hinted at it, but we're we're going to pull from the 77 questions. We were reading through the 77 questions, and there's there's a little section there um, where it really talks about. Uh, the Bible, you know, there's questions about the Bible. Can you trust the Bible? All this kind of stuff. We're not going to hit all those questions because in our concise theology study, we, we've hit some of it, but we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about how the Bible really kind of applies to the Christian on a daily basis. You know, it's, 
you have people and you say, you know, oh, are you doing your quiet time? Are you studying God's word? Yes, I'm studying God's word. What are you learning? Well, I have no idea. You know, and, and how many times do you talk to people that they, they don't know how to study, they don't know how to learn, they don't know how to remember mm-hmm. things from God's Word. And so we're just going to take the, uh, a few weeks and, and we're going to talk about Bible, we're going to talk about Bible study, we're going to talk about Bible application, um, and, and the ways that Christians can go deeper into the study of God's Word so that they can apply it to their life more and more. Yeah, and it's not even just applying it more and more to our lives, but applying it properly with a proper understanding of what Scripture says. Because a lot of times people will take, will pick and choose verses, like individual verses, way out of context. And we've talked about this before, like Jeremiah 29, 11, or Philippians 4, 13. (laughs) You pull those way out of context, and it's like, um, God has plans to prosper me, and um, I can do all things to crush your treatments. I mean, it's like, there is some truth to each of those statements, but when you start pulling them out of context, you're you're doing yourself a disservice, and you're doing the people around you a disservice if you're like saying, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, does not give you the liberty to do whatever you want because yeah. Christ is giving you the strength in quotes to do that. Yeah, yeah. My favorite is is when football players have you know Philippians four thirteen. And they're like, oh, God's going to help me win this football game. I'm like, God God doesn't care about your football game, bro. No. You know, and, 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 and funny thing, like, the opponent is using that same verse. And so yeah. somebody is going to lose, and so are you going to blame God for you losing? Like, that, yes. that's – and that's something we did, like, when I was in high school on the football team. Like, that was one of the verses we quoted at before a game, after a game. Yeah. And, like, looking back on it, it was a very shallow – surface level understanding of what like of how we were applying scripture yeah Um, i get the sentiment but it was very shallow yeah well and i mean if you if we want to contextualize philippians 413 within a football game philippians 413 contextualized within a football game would say you go out there you play your very hardest you give god all the glory for how you played you you have a great attitude. You do all of that. You be content in your football game played, mm-hmm. regardless of whether you win or lose. Because so what you're saying is it's almost like the attitude of the movie facing the Giants. Pretty much, yeah. Where if we win, we praise him. If we lose, we praise him. We praise. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so you know that that's just a little brief contextualization of of verses that are that are commonly taken out of context and. You know, there's. I'm, I'm going to throw this quote out there as kind of like the entry to into this this world of Bible study and all this. And this is a quote from probably one of my one of my more favorite theologians. His name is D. A. Carson. Um, but he said a while back, he said a text without context is a pretext for a proof text. And and those words, it, 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 it's catchy because you know you got the word text in there all the time, but. What he's saying is when you take the, the words of God, the text of the word of God, out of the context that it is intended to be in, and you use it for whatever you want, which is what a proof text is, you, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply this this way, and, and I'm going to proof text this. I'm going to say this is what this means, but it doesn't mean that. That's, you have a pretext for a proof text. Mm. And, and so, so what we're going to do is we're going to hopefully give you very just kind of basic fundamental ways that you can read the word of God. You can understand the word of God. You can apply the word of God appropriately and correctly to your life so that you can be a better believer, a better representative of Christ to the world around you. Yeah. Um, Something that the author said in this book that I've got highlighted that I thought was really poignant to the understanding of what we're talking about here. And it's a little long, so bear with me here. So um, it says, when God inspired his prophets and apostles, he no doubt wanted us to understand his one clear intended meaning. The apostle Peter said that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. And so we all need to seek the objective meaning, God's interpretation of each doctrine or truth of scripture. Um, We've talked about this before. The Bible says what it means. It means what it says. 
and what you use with what you do with that knowledge of what the Bible says, you know, the Bible says what it says. There's no arguing that how you, how I apply it to my life might look different than how Rick applies it to his life, how Donald Trump would apply it to his life, how insert person here would apply it but our interpretation of it and what it means and what it says should all be universally the same. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I learned when I was in school a long time ago was, you know, and, and I'd never thought about this, but when you come to a passage of scripture, a passage of scripture can have one meaning and only one meaning. Mm-hmm. And it only can mean one thing. You can apply it differently. But it can mean one thing, and you have to base your application on the meaning of the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, so let's go back to the example that we gave. Let's talk about Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Okay. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and give you a future. That sounds wonderful. And when you put it on a banner and you put it on your house and it, sound, and it makes everybody feel good and it gives them the warm fuzzies and all that kind of, you know, sickening stuff to me, but whatever. Um, you have no feelings. I have no feelings. You're right. Um, it becomes this like mantra verse for God's going to do, God's going to make me good. God's going to make me wealthy. God's going to make me prosperous. You know, we, we attach worldly things to it. Well, you have to remember that when Jeremiah wrote those words and he's, he's saying, God is saying to him, God is going to prosper you. Jeremiah and the Israelites are sitting in Babylonian captivity at that moment. Mm -hmm. And so the verse is not about, you know, you having health and wealth and wonderful things and, and, and all the world looking at you and wishing they were like you because you're so rich and fabulous. No, it means that even in the depths of your despair and in the depths of your captivity and your bondage, God still wants the best for the people that he has chosen. Yeah. And he's going to work for that good because that brings him the most glory. Yeah. And at the end of the day, everything is about bringing God the most glory. And so, you know, when you put it in that context, it makes people who say, you know, well, I'm going to go buy this jet because God wants me to have a jet. And and the more you give, the more God, you, you know, how many times do you hear prosperity preachers say, the more you give, the more you sow into my ministry, the more God's going to bless you, man. Anytime I hear a preacher say that, I want to stand up and say, get behind me, Satan, because mm-hmm. because there is nothing further from the truth of God. You do not sow into a person's ministry. You sow into what God is doing and what God is working and what, what God is, how God is changing people's lives. If that's a, if that's a man, then you're sowing, you're sowing into what God is doing. You're not sowing into that man. Yeah. And if that man thinks that you have to sow into him for God to bless you, he's the wrong dude. Uh, and, and I think the, I mean, we're getting, I mean, it is what it is at this point, but, um, you know, <laughs> I just took us down a rabbit trail. Yeah, sorry. But you talk about prosperity preachers. Like when they say the more you give, the more God blesses you. Like, I think they're, I mean, it's almost, they're not saying this like implicitly and they would never come out and say this, but it's almost like they're saying like the more you as a congregation give, the more God blesses, they're saying you, but what they really mean is me. Yes. And, and so, you know, the more, obviously, the more money that a that a congregation gives to the church, the more things the church can do for the community, for missions, for all that kind of stuff, but also for its staff. And, yeah. And, and you, if you think about it in that context, like when you give, you are giving to the church. The church is deciding what to do with that money, and part of that decision making is paying the staff and paying the salary. Yeah. So, but I think prosperity gospel preachers will use that to say, you know, the more you give, the more God will bless you. But what I really mean is, the more you give, the more I can, the more money I get to do what I want. Exactly. And, yeah. and like prosperity gospel preachers, I believe very much that God loves them. I don't believe the vast majority of them are preaching any type of gospel that Jesus would back up. No, no, it's, it's a false gospel. It, it is. And, and if you, if you come across one, then, then I just, you know, I encourage you to run, but 
We're not here to talk about the prosperity gospel tonight, but that does segue us into what we are here to talk about, which is how do we correctly interpret the Bible? If we if we know that you know people can incorrectly interpret it, mm-hmm. example being prosperity gospel preachers, yep. how do we correctly interpret the gospel? Yeah. Um, talk us talk us into this. Where where are we going with this question? What are we doing? Why are we attacking this question? And we're this is the only one we're going to talk about tonight. So yeah. So there's um there's a couple of words that I think get mentioned in church a lot that um aren't really like deeply explained or you know, expounded upon much. And I know what one of them is, but I don't know what the antonym would be. Um, but we have this thing called exegesis. And then we have the other thing called, is it eisegesis? Eisegesis. Okay. So, okay. So, um, I'm going to let Rick talk about eisegesis here in a second, because it's not in this book and I don't have it pulled up, but he knows exactly what it is. (laughs) Um, but exegesis is like, so it's, it's from this Greek word, exegeomai, exegeomai. Exegeomai. Okay, so I was, I was close. Um, which just means to make known, to unfold, and teach, and to clear by making known. Um, and so it's it's this idea that we can have explained to us what God's word says, mm-hmm. and and there's a there's a proper way to interpret and a proper way to explain that. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but you know, there each passage of scripture has a very specific meaning. Intently specific, and, and and when you realize that God is, He cares about the intimate details of all, of every aspect of our lives. He He also cares intimately about every single detail about His Word, um, and it's in the Bible for a reason. It's in the order. It's in for a reason. It's verses are arranged in a certain way for a specific reason, and you know this idea of exegesis is applying that understanding to how we read scripture. Yes, that is exactly right. So the way that I understand the difference and the way that I try to explain the difference between exegesis and eisegesis is, is this, when you exegete, you explain, which is exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. When you eisegete or when, when you, when you take eisegesis, you're isolating something for some other purpose. So just, just to continue to use the examples we've used. So exegesis of Jeremiah 29, 11 would be, so, would be looking at Jer- the entire chapter of Jeremiah 29. Mm-hmm. And then also looking at the, not just the chapters around it, but maybe the entire book of Jeremiah as a whole, as a whole, and, and how Jeremiah 29, 11 fits into the narrative of the entire book of Jeremiah, mm-hmm. exactly. where eisegesis is plucking Jeremiah 29, 11 and coming up with three clever statements that all start with the same letter to apply it or to use Jeremiah 29, 11 in a sermon exactly by itself with no further explanation. So, yeah, the, the best way that I like to explain eisegesis is when uh, when somebody goes, man, I need a Bible verse about hope. So they go to Google.com and they type in, give me a Bible verse about hope. And the first thing that pops up is Jeremiah 29. I'm like, boom, there's my verse about hope. That, that to me is the, the principal example of when someone is eisegeting a text. They don't know any other verse around it. They don't know any of the context about it. They've just said, I want a Bible verse about hope. And when you type in, give me a Bible verse about hope, it pulls up and says, hey, this Bible verse has hope in it. Sweet. That's the verse I want. You it's, know? it's just a Google search. It's just a Google res- results of a exactly. search. So there's no there's no knowing what the, the words around. And, and you know, an, another kind of example of, of modern day eisegesis. And, and you can eisegete more than just the word of God. This it's is not a something. This is not a term that's specifically about the bible mm-hmm. um but but if you hear a, if you hear a quote from somebody and you're like man that sounded really weird that didn't sound characteristic of that person then you go back and you hear a quote in a larger context of the speech they gave you know and maybe in that in that quote they said i'll, I'll use a really popular example that we're going to say they said the words black lives matter and you're like oh that person supports black lives matter and they're a marxist and they're a communist and 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 then you listen to the whole the whole context of the quote, and they say, you know, 
I fully support the concept of Black Lives Matter, but I disagree with the movement of Black Lives Matter. You know, mm-hmm. and you you listen to that whole that whole thing. You go, okay, well, that's not at all what they said, right? I mean, we um, we live in an age now where literally anyone can edit anything to make it say whatever they want to say. Yeah, and, and they can, and, and even they, to the point where they can edit it to make you say things you didn't actually say. Yeah. I think about um, there's an episode of The Office, which is one of our favorite shows. Like oh, for gosh, for Rick and myself, like my wa- like for for me and my wife, we are watching it like the fourth or fifth time through right now. It's still hilarious. Like I need to go back and watch. It's it mostly background noise, but it's still like still so captivating. But there's an episode where Jim um, has not, and, uh, again. We're getting a little sidetracked but we're be all right. so we're isogeting so um <laughs> but jim is he's he's just been told like it doesn't matter how much paper you sell you're not getting paid for it so he has no incentive to work so he spends all day um taking the ceo's audiobook to make it sound like she's yelling at the hr guy you remember that episode yes with uh <laughs> kathy bates is is reading basically and Jim has taken the audiobook and made it sound like Gabe is like really in trouble, but in reality it's just Jim screwing with Gabe because Gabe <laughs> told Jim he couldn't make any more money. I mean but Isogesis is that same thing where like you can take one sentence that someone says like the, the hot button one now is Donald Trump saying um lots of fine people Yeah. <laughs> talking about Charlottesville. Uh-huh. And, and and you know people said oh he said there were some fine people in church so i was like i'm sure there are but he's also didn't say what you said he said yeah and and so and i think in this political culture we're, we're in right now we're like anyone can make anything sound like anything it's important for as a believer for you as a voter to do some extra research and just make sure that like what you're being told was said is actually being said. Yes. Yes. Like, like you can't just believe whatever CNN or Fox news tells you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, honestly, I mean, the news cycles are probably one of the chief examples of, of eisegesis in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, they take something that turns into a soundbite and they, and they promote it with this specific narrative, you know, and I'll give you the example that's been coming out for the last couple of weeks. I personally don't know where I fall on this one, but the whole what the the Kyle Rittenhouse or whatever mm-hmm. his name is, you know, here here's a kid. You can we're not going to have the debate tonight on whether or not you know he should or should not have been there because that's that's not the what we're talking about. But maybe in a future regardless episode. of yeah, the the media portrayed him in a way that was not accurate with. Or, or not consistent with what he was actually doing there. Right. You know. Yeah, he's, I mean, the vast majority of MSM, mainstream uh, media. Main, mainstream media outlets, will take the basic details and contort it to tell whatever story they want to. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really sad that we have so many people who, like, going into journalism... Is not like a small task. Like you have to go to school for that crap, um, supposedly. Um, yeah, oh yeah, allegedly. That's, that's debatable these days. <laughs> but anyway, so like you used to have to go to school for that. Um, but you know, you go to you, there's processes, and you've worked so hard to get to like the the peak. Like CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, like all these news news places are the peak of journalism. Mm-hmm. And they take like a tiny little detail and make it tell whatever story they want. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's doing the people of the service is doing their network of the service is doing them a disservice. Yeah. And, and you get to the point where you just don't trust anybody. I mean, no, you know, uh, do, do I trust Fox news? No. Do I trust uh, MSNBC? No. Do I trust CNN? No. Do I trust, do I trust any major media outlet? Absolutely not. Yeah. Because I think all of them, every single one of them, has a specific agenda, and they're trying to fit narratives to their agenda. Yeah, and that's what you're doing when you isogeet a text. Yeah, and so you know, talking talking about isogesis and exegesis, one of the best ways that pastors and churches can promote exegesis in their in their churches and in their church culture is by expository preaching, mm-hmm. and so. 
what we mean by expository preaching is you take a book of the Bible and you go through it verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, and you preach from the beginning of that book to the end of that book, however long it takes. You know, I've heard stories of, uh, you know, it took John Piper nine years to preach through the book of Romans at his church. Um, you know, as I was someone, in a church. As someone who's worked on a church staff, I would not want to, like, <laughs> like part of me would be, like, just exhausted of Romans after you, nine years. You would, you say that, but I have been a part of a church where we spent two and a half years in the book of Revelation. We spent three years going through the book of Genesis. We spent 18 months in the book of Ephesians. We spent, um, we did, we're, we're, our, our church did uh, Psalm 119, uh-huh. just Psalm 119, and it took close to two years. Yeah. And, and but you but you the funny thing is when you when you actually sit down and you listen and you learn and you apply the word of God appropriately in your life you start to see where where all of these things fit together mm-hmm. you start to see where scripture is not this disheveled conglomeration of books but it is actually a unified theme with a with a consistent narrative all the way through. Yeah, it's a it's and, a complete and, cohesive work. Exactly, and then you start to think, man, how is it possible that multiple writers across co- you know two millennia could have written a book so cohesive mm-hmm. when when you know we can't even get TV series writers to write two seasons back to back that are cohesive, right? <laughs> you know. Um, and, and all of that points to where, where kind of the foundation of, of this idea comes from, which is Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, which says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, that doesn't say some scripture. It doesn't say this scripture. It says all scripture. Mm-hmm. So from Genesis to Revelation, it is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. And so... If, if your scripture that you're studying isn't teaching, reproving, training, or correcting in righteousness, then you've probably misapplied that, that passage somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But, and, and that's like, that's a foundation that I taught, that I kind of take people to when I say, are you correctly applying this? What is it teaching you? How is it correcting you? What, you know, how is it reproving you? And how is it training you? What, what is it doing to train you into a better, christian to be a better representative for christ jesus yeah and and if you if you're not doing those two things then then realistically you're not applying scripture the right way right you know and and so the the guys when they when and i like how they kind of broke this chapter down this little this little question down but let's hit a little bit when they talk about the meaning of words and the meaning of words within context we're going to kind of jump around here a little bit yeah um, but they first talk about the meaning of words and they talk about metaphor and they talk about grammar. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I think it's, it's interesting that they would bring up these two because number one, metaphor is a very interesting thing because meta, when you talk about metaphors, you talk about getting a lot of different applications. Right. But, but to me, a metaphor is really the perfect example for scripture because a metaphor only means one thing. Right. You know, a metaphor has a direct correlation. Now, you can apply that metaphor in many different situations. So this is, goes to exactly what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But a metaphor means one thing. There's not, you know, there's not this ethereal type of, you know, what can mean this and it can mean that. And if you apply it this way and if you apply it that way, it, there's no meaning changes in a metaphor or an appropriate metaphor. There's not. And so when you give a metaphor, it should be appropriate, but it should be applicable to a lot of different people in a lot of different situations consistently. Yeah. And that's exactly what scripture does. Yeah. And, and, and it shouldn't be surprising, but like the, the whole idea of metaphors, like Jesus's parables are almost exclusively metaphors. Yeah. Like they're, I don't, I don't can't think of one off the top of my head that was like Jesus telling a story of something that actually happened. Like all of his parables. No. Well, he always says the kingdom of God is like when, and, and you say it's like this, you're giving a metaphor mm-hmm. when something is like something else. Right. You're, your comparison, you're doing a comparison, an analogy, a metaphor. You're doing something along those lines. Right. I like how the authors say, um, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life in John six thirty five, they asked this question, did he mean he was a loaf of gr- ground grain mixed with yeast and baked? And, and obviously the answer is no. <laughs> no. But we know that he was talking, he was speaking it metaphorically to the fact that he is the sustenance for our spiritual life 
the same way that bread is a sustenance for our physical life. Yeah. If if Jesus were around today, he would be like, I'm the cash in your pocket. Because, you know, that that to us is what, what drives us. Mm-hmm. You know, money, money in your bank account, that's how we live. Yeah. You know, but back then, bread was almost like having cash in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, so you know, we, we talk about the, um, you know, taking, you know, there's metaphors and there's taking things literally. If we take things literally, we often misinterpret scripture anyway. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll misinterpret it like um, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's yeah. like, so, you know, at the time of that was said, people were like, so we got to push a camel through a needle. Yeah. Before, well, well, like, like, like it doesn't like it's. Yeah. Think about the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus mm-hmm. in John yeah, chapter yeah, yeah. three. You know, that was the other when, one. when Jesus says, you know, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, wait, you mean I have to go back into my mother's womb? I mean, he tried to take Jesus literally. Mm-hmm. And and Jesus was starting to know what you need is to be completely renewed. You need to be completely regenerated from the inside out, and and so it's like being reborn. It's again, it's this metaphor uh, that that a lot of times causes people to miss what Jesus is saying because they're trying to understand something literally. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean that there's not literal things in the Bible? No, I believe there are literal things in the Bible. Yeah, uh, you know, I believe that Noah literally built the ark. I believe that. Um, God literally came to Moses on Mount Sinai. There are historical events that mm-hmm. are recorded. I believe that Jesus literally came to the earth, literally died, and literally rose. Yeah, you know it, the the literal versus metaphor has more to do with like, like I said, Jesus speaking in parables. Yeah, like like exactly. when Jesus, when Jesus yeah. sits down with his disciples and says, "This is what we're experiencing now is like this." Yes. The next thing Jesus says, we cannot take literal. Like, we yeah. should not take as a literal meaning. We should be yeah. pl- looking for a metaphorical way to apply it. When when the Bible is clearly in metaphor, then don't be afraid to use a literary metaphor. But yeah. when the Bible is clearly being literal, don't be afraid to be literal. Yeah, it's, it's got to do with that historical versus application. Yeah. Like, yeah. a lot of the Old Testament is a historical uh, telling of the of the people of God. Whereas you get to the New Testament and it moves more to practicality and application. Yeah. And it's not to say that there's not either in the other, if that makes sense. But oh, there's definitely, I mean, but, you but, can get to the the wisdom. I mean, the the book of Proverbs is basically nothing but a bunch of metaphors. Yeah. So that's <laughs> like I'm saying, like there are metaphors in the Old Testament, just like there's literality in the New Testament. Yes. If I can make yeah. up a word. On the spot. Uh, that sounds like a good word. Literality. But, I'm going to start using that. But, I mean, so, but don't be, like like you said, don't be afraid when it's obvious it's a metaphor to read it as a metaphor. Exactly. We're not supposed exactly. to eat Jesus. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. So, sorry, Catholics. <laughs> yeah. So, so we move from metaphors and, now, and, and so they also touch on the importance of grammar. And, yes. and I think this is going to really hit home for a lot of the grammar Nazis out there. Um, when you, grammar Nazi is a bad term, but <laughs> we need to come up with a different term. Uh, Can we retcon grammar Nazi and just people who really like grammar to be perfect? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so when you talk about like the importance of grammar, um, things that are important, verb tense, question, commands. Mm-hmm. Subjects and objects like predicates and nouns and verbs and yeah. like all these different aspects of grammar that I think we, especially in Western culture, take for granted when we read the Bible. Like we just read it as, oh, this is what it says and yeah. not and we're not looking for more out of it. Yeah. And and you have to understand that the Bible was not written in English. Um, I know there. What? <laughs> bomb right there bam, 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 bam. <laughs> um but no the the bible was not written in english the old testament was written in hebrew the new testament was written in greek and it has been translated um and and you have to does this mean that you have to go back and you have to become a scholar in greek and hebrew to actually understand what the bible means no it does not mean that um because god is faithful to preserve his word um but that means that 
don't you shouldn't be afraid to use multiple translations of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And and this is where grammar is specifically useful because um you know my two favorite versions, my two favorite translations of the Bible are the ESV and the CSB. Mm-hmm. Um there's people who love the King James version. Um weirdos. I, you, you know, I, I'm I'm pers- personally just I, I I struggle to read it. Um, all the D's and D's and spakest and spokest and, and, you know, I'm, it, I feel like you gotta have just, your hand up like Spock when you read that one, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but I also am willing to admit that there are certain places where the King James Bible has gotten it exactly right. And so I'm not afraid to sit down with a King James Bible or a Geneva Bible or a new American standard Bible or a new international vi- version. You know, I always called it the nearly inspired version when I was in college because we used to joke about it. Um, but, but, you know, one of the things that I learned a long time ago was when I sit down to study, if I'm studying a specific packet passage, I will read it in multiple different translations and see how each one translates it just a little bit differently, Mm -hmm. because you're going to get a better understanding of why this verb was used here, why that noun was used there and, and how these things work together. And if you want to, uh, you know, Take yourself down uh, a terrible trail of, of pain and regret. Go study the original languages. You know, I've done both. And I've taken classes, and I can read Greek very, very primitively. Uh, but I can do it, and I can understand it. And, you know, when you take these classes and when you study this stuff, one of the things they teach you to do is this little little thing called parsing. And it's the devil when you're in a class and you have to parse every single word and every single ver- and every single verse and it takes you, you know, three and a half hours to translate like two verses of the Bible, and you're all you want to do is pull your hair out. Mm-hmm. And that explains and, and, a lot about you. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, and so you find yourself in the. And, and again, I'm not saying that everyone has to go and study the the Greek, but if you want to learn more about Scripture, go and learn some basic Greek. Yeah, you know, go take a class on it and learn it because. It is eye-opening the amount of things that you will see when you start getting into the original language, and and it'll it'll make it to where when you read the Bible, it has a it has a different sense about it, you know, and and it's it's not some kind of like special knowledge gnostic type of thing, but it's just you. It's like you understand when you see that word, and you know that the the root behind that word is this other word, and that that word carries all of this context with it because, you know. One of the things that I always laugh, actually, I have it right here on my desktop as, as we're talking about this. Um, and, and it's a meme that I found years ago, and it says, English doesn't borrow from other language, other languages. English follows other languages down dark alleys, knocks them over, goes through their pockets for loose grammar. <laughs> it's pretty accurate representation of English, I mean, actually. And so, so, you know, the English language for, for all of its issues doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so... If you're able to piece it together a little bit better, then you end up with a better understanding of what was intended when that verse was written down in the original language and mm-hmm. the author's intention behind what he wrote. Right. All right. So now that we've kind of like tackled the the grammar, the meaning of words with metaphor and grammar, um, let's talk about context because because I think that's something that um, we've t- we've touched on this I don't know how many times but a lot of people forget to include context and mm-hmm. I think it's maybe just a lack of basic understanding of how important context is especially when you're reading scripture like and maybe it's only when you're reading a scripture because I don't feel like when you're reading a novel or like any other book or magazine or news article or whatever like I don't feel like people are losing site of context mm-hmm. and maybe it's because the bible is unlike any other book where it where it's put together by hundreds of people over the course of 2000 years like maybe that's because content maybe that's why we don't think of context being so important but mm-hmm. context is vital when you talk about scripture yeah, yeah it is i mean we've we've harped on jeremiah 29 11 Philippians 4.13, John 3.16, like, you can't pick verses out of context and just throw them around all willy-nilly. Yeah, yeah. And it's... You you wouldn't, if you were going to read a news article, you would not read 
the fourth paragraph on the second page and then feel like you have understood the entire article. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and it's important to understand that that the books of the Bible, every book of the Bible, when it was written, was did not have chapters and verses in it. Yeah, you know the, the way um, it's organized is not. It's the way God intended it to be, but like the line breaks, the where everything happens would be very foreign to the yeah. writers of the book. Yeah. And I mean, there's actually times when a, a chapter break or a, a paragraph break tears into your context. And I think that's where, you know, for all the good intentions that, that were you that were behind, you know, putting those in there to, to almost give it like an indexing, you know, it's easy to say, turning your Bibles to the book of John, chapter three, verse 16, and everybody can find it, you know, because they can find the book of John, they can find chapter three, and then they just skip down to verse 16. But you have to remember that the book of John was was really like, I mean, it was almost like a letter mm-hmm. written. And it was a consistent thought. I mean, it was a book that John wrote. And, and when you read a book, you again, you don't read uh, one paragraph out of the middle of the book and feel like you've, you understand the whole book. You, you read the whole thing from beginning to end. Uh, I was sitting here trying to think of a, like a comparable analogy. You wouldn't read the third chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and think you yep. understand the entire series. Exactly. And if you do, then you're eisegeting. Yep. <laughs> um, but, but you know, the it really kind of comes into play in the New Testament because the Old Testament is obviously, you know, you got history books, you've got the, the Psalms kind of break themselves down. They, they don't necessarily have to have each individual psalm, you can, I mean, you can say we just attach chapter numbers to it, but each individual psalm is is a noticeable break. But the the big one, when it comes to context, is when you talk about the epistles and the gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, because Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, you know, we love to quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is grace you have been saved uh, through faith, it is not of your own, it is the work of God, so that no one can boast. We, we love quoting that verse and we love saying it, but you you really need to understand where Paul has come from in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he's saying, God knew you before the foundations of the world. He chose you. He adopted you into his family. And then he goes into the start of chapter 2, and he's like, oh, by the way, you chosen to, in to adopt into God's family? You're like children of wrath, because that's what you used to be. You belong to the devil. Mm-hmm. But by grace. And, and there's a pivotal verse in chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, but God. And and it's, it's, it's like this whole thought pattern that you see Paul go through, where he's like, you're this, you're this, you're amazing, you're a piece of trash, you're a piece, you know, and, he, and then he says, but God, and, and when you put that whole thought together and you look at it from beginning to end, you get an entirely new concept on what it means to be saved by grace alone, through faith, to the glory of God alone, by Christ alone. Right. And so and and so that's that's what we mean when we're talking about the context that it is put in. And and there's two types of context that, that they talk about in the book, and I think both of them are important. Mm-hmm. The very first one they talk about is literary context, and and this is this is really exactly what we've been been kind of talking about for the last few minutes. So we're not going to spend a much much more longer on this. But how does it fit into the the text that you're reading? How does it fit into the book? How does it fit into the argument? The overall theme of what is being said and what is being presented. Mm-hmm. If you don't pull that literary context context out. You're doing yourself a disservice on that, what it means to understand the Word of God. Right. Right. So what's the other context that they give us They give us here in this in this chapter? Yeah, so, so they talked about literary context. They also talk about historical context, um, pointing out that the Bible was written in various historical time periods. Um, and it's important to realize that the Bible was written at a certain time mm-hmm. for a certain people, mm-hmm. and we can't just apply what was written to the church at Ephesus, for example, directly to our lives here in Mott in 2020 America. Um, And they say in order to the, the author say here in order to exegete a Bible passage, we must see it within its historical and cultural context. It's Mm -hmm. important to remember that there was a specific audience that every word of the Bible was written to. Um, 
and that audience was not Rick or Patrick specifically, <laughs> or, like or America, yeah, or America, <laughs> like people who take like Second Chronicles seven fourteen and try oh to stick gosh. it to America around the Fourth of July. Like, I understand the sentiment. You are screwing up really bad. Um, yeah. Or, Psalm thirty three twelve is another one. Yeah. If, you know, bless is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Please yeah. stop. <laughs> or, or people who say things like, there's a David inside all of you ready to face your Goliath. It's like, no, there isn't. There was a David who faced Goliath. You might be facing challenges, but you were not facing Goliath. I've got a, I've got a Matt Chandler meme for you that says, you're not David. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, the Bible was written, was completed before, like, the final books of the Bible were written by their authors Mm-hmm. Before 100 AD. Yes. Nothing about what they wrote down was written for us in 2020. Yes. Now we get to read it and we get to apply it and interpret it and, and use it in our lives. Yes. But we were not the initial audience. No. Um, if you don't understand something in its historical context, then you don't understand what you're reading. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it, it, that sounds simple and it sounds kind of cliche, but, but it's true because, and, and I'll give you a kind of a, a modern day example of that. If you've ever read any C.S. Lewis books, mm-hmm. you know, that C.S. Lewis uses words that, that would probably get him canceled today. You know, he loves the word queer. C.S. Lewis loves the word queer. And, and in Britain in 1950s, the word queer just meant strange. And it just, you know, and it was, you would say, that's an awfully strange thing to say. Well, that's an awfully queer thing to say. That's what the mm-hmm. Britons was. And it was common language, you know. Uh, uh, another example is, is uh, the, I love this word, the Britons. I always, I always like to compare the, the British language to the, Ameri- or to the English. It is fun to do, um, honestly. Britons say the word bloody all the time. And, and we don't much, much like another word we say, (laughs) yeah, but, but their word bloody lines up with a word that we say, you know, that, that begins with F and um, that's all I'm going to leave that at. But, but, you know, they, we say bloody and we think, oh, you know, there's blood everywhere. If that's, Mm -hmm. that's a bloody sheet, you know, that's a bloody this or whatever. And, and they're saying, you know, well, that's a, that's a bloody good car you got there and, and they mean something completely different there's not blood on that car there's nothing <laughs> right uh I, I so think, i think americans would almost like using that example almost use bloody ironically thinking like yeah. oh we're just poking fun at the british and the british are like y'all are cussing in our face over here <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're you know and so and, and that's just two different cultures at the same time period now mm-hmm. imagine a culture from 2000 years ago yeah and the way that they spoke and the way that they said things and the way things were meant back then. So, you know, you have to understand it in its literary context and you have to also understand it in its historical context, yeah. which to me, again, just emphasizes more and more the need for pastors to preach consistently exegetical messages from from your pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are not consistently teaching through a book of the Bible, I personally believe you are doing the people in your congregation a disservice. You know, now that doesn't mean you always have to, and you have to every single sermon of every single time. But but if you're not consistently going back to, if that's not your norm, then then I would just encourage you to rethink it. You know, rethink what you're doing because when you take this one verse and you teach about a topic, and and you say, you know, you teach this thing, and and I'm not accusing pastors who teach topically of of eisegesis, but I'm saying it lends itself more to it. Mm-hmm. You run that risk, and and. My question to the pastor is, why take that risk? Right. Why not just teach your people consistently every single week, week in and week out, so that you can say, you remember when we talked about this three weeks ago? You remember when we talked about this last year in this other book of the Bible? Look how this verse we're studying today applies to what we learned a year ago. Yeah. And and over time, you're going to see a biblical knowledge grow within your congregation, and you're going to see people's hunger for the word of God grow and they're going to want to learn and they're going to begin to challenge you, pastor. They're going to do it because I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. And what that means is your people are becoming hungry. They're learning, they're growing, they're being sanctified. And, and I couldn't think of anything better for a pastor to say about his church than man, look at how, how sanctified, look at how much these people are growing because the word of God is being taught. Right. 
what is the long-term benefit of exegesis versus eisegesis is a question that I think pastors need to seriously address. Yeah. Like, so we talked about tonight, how, how can we correctly understand uh, the word of God? And, and we threw out a couple of things. We, we just, I just want to kind of rush back through these and hit them. How do I interpret the Bible correctly? You got to know the meaning of the words. You got to understand when the Bible is talking about metaphor and and the grammar that the Bible is using. Mm-hmm. Learn some basic grammar. You know this this is this is things that you learn in school. And then the other thing, the other big one is you got to know the context. You have to um, you have to be able to look at a verse of scripture inside of its context and understand the one meaning of that verse. And and I'll I'll, I'll leave you with the D. A. Carson quote that says. Um, a text without context is a pretext for proof text um, because it, it is so true and it is so true not just in in what we say and do when we when we study the Word of God but really in everything and and so you know this is it's is it applicable to the Word of God absolutely and that's what we want it to be but it's also applicable to your life mm-hmm. and 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 it helps you choose your words you know I, I think I've said this before probably four or five times on the podcast but I had a professor in college and He's just recently passed away, but he had such a profound impact on my life because this man lived and walked everything about the word of God that you could, that you could imagine. And he always came into class and he was so humble, but he would always say when somebody asked a question and it wasn't worded right, he would say, now remember words mean things. And, and so when you get ready to talk, just remember words mean things. Mm -hmm. When you get ready to correct somebody, remember words mean things yeah and 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 so i i I want to encourage you with that i know patrick wants to encourage you with that you got anything else you want to add to us no i don't think so all right well if they want to find us on social media patrick where would they do that man we are everywhere we are you can find us on instagram over at beers and bible underscore you can find us on twitter at beers and bible p1 you can find us on Facebook by searching for Beers and Bubble Podcast and uh, just looking for the uh, the logo there that you see wherever you're listening to the podcast. And you can also email us at uh, Beers and Bubble Podcast at gmail.com. And we're also on, just kidding, we're not on anything else at this point. <laughs> I was going to say TikTok, but I don't think TikTok's going to be around much longer. So um, I'm not getting on TikTok. I refuse. <laughs> uh, also, we have to reveal our face. So. Well, there you go. maybe not. Anyway, um, but yeah, we will. Any of the f- the four we have, we would love to hear from you. Hear from you. Yeah, and uh, reach out and give us some questions about theology or beer suggestions that you'd like for us to to try on the podcast. So we we'd love to interact with you guys and and uh, keep this thing going. Please like and share and and tell your friends and family about the podcast. We'd love to to see our audience grow. We're seeing a slight uptick, I guess. And we'd like to keep this train rolling. So either either there's been a slight uptick or our parents are going back and listening again from different devices. Could be that. I mean, I don't I don't know. <laughs> so anyway. Um but until next week, uh we hope you have a good week. Enjoy a enjoy a two hearted ale from from the uh, Bells Brewing. And uh we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out. See ya. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.